Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the Dungeon. Epilogue, Part 1 Mela stood in the clearing outside the temple, face turned to Sol. It was impossible to describe the feeling. Three years ago, she had lived on the streets, hiding in the alleys of Feld's Crossing, surviving on scraps. Now she had seen more, done more, than all but five others in the province, experienced a journey that none would believe, even if they told their story right now less than a bell after its conclusion. She stood, eyes closed, feeling the warmth upon her face, listening to the many noises of the woods. Night would come again in a few bells. The others had begun some grim tasks. She had just needed a moment, a moment away from it all. Footsteps padded softly alongside her, and then around to stand before her. It was Rianach. The funny thing was, had the halfling wanted, she could have approached in complete silence. So her walking with even this little bit of noise was a courtesy. She wanted Mela to know she was there. Mela took a deep breath and then opened her eyes looking down to her friend. Rianak flushed. I... I hope I'm not disturbing you. Mela smiled. Her face felt warm. No, no, it's fine. I was just... She gestured vaguely to the sky, and then felt embarrassed when she couldn't come up with anything more, finishing with a shrug and an awkward laugh. There wasn't much to consider in that oh-so-thoughtful statement, but Rianach seemed to be considering it quite thoroughly. It made her self-conscious, until she realized that was not what was going on. Rianach was listening for a voice. Mela watched Rianach's eyes come back into focus on her face after a time. Look! The little cleric took a half-step closer. I... A half-step back. We... Uh, you and me... Rianach swallowed. Mela's stomach was a net full of butterflies. I guess what I'm trying to say is... And then the wind went out of her. The halfling turned her head aside. It is real. Mela was worried. Worried this wasn't what she had hoped it might be. She gently reached out to pull Rianach's face back to look up at hers, but stopped short, uncertain. What is? Her question began, overlapping Rianach's words as she looked defiantly back up. I hear them in my head. Mela wasn't quite sure what. Hey, God, I hear Cinder's words in my head sometimes, but it's real. Mela could see Rianach had given up presumed Mela would think she was addled, that this conversation ended here. 
halfling began to turn. Mela reached out, grabbing both of Rianok's hands. It's okay. I'm pretty sure a god looks through my eyes from time to time. Rianok frowned, afraid she was being made fun of at first, but looked directly into her eyes, searching. Really? Mela said in a whisper. Rianok stared a few more beats, beats that seemed like an eternity, and then her freckled face turned a deep shade of red. But she smiled again. She looked down and mumbled, I think I'm in love with you. Mela's heart pounded in her chest like a hammer. Her head felt as if it would float away on the wind. She let go Rianok's hands and moved hers to gently grasp the freckled cheeks, bringing the face back up. That's good, because I know I love you. And then she leaned forward, and they kissed. Mela had never been happier in all of her years. There was much to do. They had piled the bodies of the hobgoblins on a makeshift pyre near the edge of the clearing and burned them. They cleaned the bodies of Valerian and Ortoval, setting them in the chamber covered in designs and carvings, the chamber just before the main hall. Rianok used her magic to place the bodies in a form of stasis. They would decay no further until they had found their final resting places. Sarkeesian had found a moment to tactfully ask Snare if he knew who might come for the bodies. The bearded gnome had given the name of the master of the Dea Delfiori house and of Ortoval's father, a cook in Ubato. They slept. Refreshed from a night's sleep, Rianok was able to send messages to both individuals, informing them of the heavy news. Before they had slept, Snare had made his first request of them. Could Ortoval be brought back? Back to dwell once more with the living? There were ways, but he had been gone five days now. The magics required were extraordinarily powerful and came at a great cost in both materials and of a sacrifice from the living. Mela could see in Rianok's face that she might be able to do it, given the proper resources, but she was hesitant. Instead, the halfling asked if Snare knew Ortoval would want to come back, because if he wasn't sure, he should think twice about the request. She followed with an offer to ask Ortoval's past spirit what it wanted. Snare seemed shocked by the suggestion, but after going apart for a bit, returned, saying they should. Ask Ortoval. The ritual was set up, and the spell was cast. Rianok let Snare dictate the questions. It was odd to listen to a lifeless form respond. Do you know you have passed? An emotion filled pause. We can bring you back. Do you want to return to the living? A long pause, 
was followed by no. Nayla and Rianok wept as well as Snare at this response. Are you at peace? Yes. I have purpose now. Resilia has welcomed me home. As many as two more questions could be asked, but it seemed there would be no more, until, through flowing tears, one last question came. Do you regret it, having died in this way? No. Peace is kept because of it. Because of us. Snare hung his head and wept harder still. Rianok gently prompted him after a time. Any last question? After a moment, the little man looked up, shaking his head. No. The spell should have ended there, but to the surprise of all, the body spoke one last time. Tell the gnome to forgive himself. He is more than he thinks. He was my friend, and I will await his arrival. Welcome in when his time comes. Rianok's eyes went wide. Mela held her hand and cried. Snare gasped and stumbled from the room. It would be at least four days before the Comptess arrived for Alarion. More for Ortival's father and Sarkeesian didn't want to wait that long. As soon as it was certain the Emerald Scarab would not return, her attention shifted to the siege at Fell's Crossing. She would not ask it of any of them, but she was going back to help. Sarkeesian had directed Rianok on who to message in Cumbershall, Borgen, and Jumato on their way here, people who would mobilize the armies of the province and come to the aid of the city under siege. But even the most advanced elements of the two closest cities wouldn't arrive for another day or two. Time the city may not have. Of course, none of them were willing to let their leader go alone. The final arrangement was that Snare would stay with the bodies, watch over them, until they could be retrieved. Sarkeesian had suggested Yonef stay as well, but he refused. He clearly had a strong attachment to Feld's crossing, obligations of which he did not speak. Colfin, having now identified a large tree close to the temple, was able to bring them through the trees themselves in but a moment to another large tree just north of where they had left the hobgoblin army. They stepped out of a massive trunk into the mid-morning sun. Into chaos. There was no hobgoblin army, but the north gate was ruined. Even from where they stood, they could see through the massive breach in the wall straight into the city. 
The nearest buildings showed signs of siege damage and fire. Bodies in the thousands covered the grounds before the broken wall. Inexplicably, there were massive swaths of frozen ground, blocks of ice slowly melting in Sol's morning light. They had been hailed and challenged on their approach, but quickly identified as no threat and allowed to pass. Sarkeesian, even amongst the chaos, was able to get them an audience with Feshna. The young sergeant who had let them out the now destroyed gate just three nights past, who had unknowingly aided them in saving the province. And from the looks of things, she may have been involved in saving the province more than once. Good to Sarkeesian's word, there was an exchange of stories. As Mela had thought, she didn't get the impression Veshna completely believed theirs. But it seemed she owed them at least the benefit of the doubt, especially after telling of what had happened in Felt's Crossing. In the pre-dawn light, the morning after their leaving, the assault had begun. Organized and vicious. Siege engines were assembled with frightening efficiency and joined the attack just before dusk. There was no rest. The hobgoblins worked in shifts, wave after wave crashing against the wall, and when they withdrew, the siege engines hammered on, even through the night. It was clear by the end of the second day the city would fall. There were not enough defenders to hold. Two hours after Sol's rise on the third day, the northern gate had collapsed. A look had crossed Veshna's face at this point. One Sarkeesian recognized. The young woman had had to make some terrible choices at that point. To send people to die in her place. It was the awful burden of military leadership. It was not something that anyone could do. But as the young sergeant picked up the thread of the tale, Sarkeesian could see she could that she had what it took, and that made Sarkeesian both proud and sad. Wall defeated, the battle's focus had shifted. The remaining small contingent of soldiers and the volunteer militia had repulsed one initial onslaught at the breach, but at a dreadful cost. Over half of the people who had come to its defense died in the effort. There had been no time to mourn. The survivors had the macabre task of watching as the next wave of the hobgoblin assault gathered and organized, watched their very death form before them. The enemy was in no hurry, clear that the next assault could not be repelled. And it may have been this arrogance that certainty in their tactical superiority and impending victory that saved the city. For in the moments before the attack came, the familiar bearers of horns coming forward to signal its onset, something appeared, something in the sky. At first it seemed a massive bird, brilliant white, 
but as it came on with frightening speed, it could be seen it was not white at all, but silver. And then it was upon them, a dragon of unfathomable size, and the citizens of Feld's Crossing hearts sank and then soared as the icy breath of the winged terror came not for them, but tore into the enemy line, breaking it, shattering it into disarray. What had been an orderly and organized army turned into fear, panic, and death, and the city of Feld's Crossing, but moments before making peace with their own mortality, rose up, not just what soldiers remained, not just the reserves and militia, but shopkeepers, bakers, farriers, mothers, and fathers took up arms and spilled from the gap in the north wall, and what should have been their end became a rout. The hobgoblin army was broken, driven off south in utter defeat. When it was done, it turned out the silver dragon had known the great-grandmother ten generations removed of a cobbler who dwelled within the city, and the dragon would see no harm come to them. Hard to believe, but the ice was still on the ground. Sarkeesian and the company stayed for the remainder of that day, but all decided that they owed it to Snare to return to await those who came for the fallen. After some private words with Sarkeesian, Yonef had chosen to stay behind, to help rebuild the city. There was something there between those two, but after many questioning looks and a few nudges and nods, it was clear Sarkeesian was not going to talk about it, and so they left it alone. On the following dawn, they returned via Colborn's magic, to the old temple. Three more days they spent there. It was strange to have nowhere to go, no one looking to kill them. Mela walked with Rianak often. Colfin hunted and prepared amazing food over open fires. Ketri chopped wood and complained of being bored. Sarkeesian was quiet, deep in thought. Other than sleeping and eating, Snare remained at Orteval's side. On the morning of the fourth day after their return, a small but well-appointed party arrived. The Comtesse Merriman de Adelfiori, with a group of five household guards. An older orc in plain clothes was with them as well. Dumog, Orteval's father. He had wept loudly and wailed. Snare sat by his side as he did. Merriman looked ashy-faced and sick, but she organized the caskets in which the bodies were to be placed and carried back to the main road, where carriages and wagons waited. Merriman talked at length with Sarkeesian. It seemed the two were at least familiar with one another. At one point, the Comtesse had come to Snare, staring at him for several beats, before saying, I realize money can be no replacement for life, but you stood by my nephew on his journey. Her eyes grew far off, 
I thought it was just... Her voice cracked. But then she gathered herself, clamping down on whatever feelings may have come. As I was saying, you have stood by the house Dea del Fiore. You have lost companions. I would be remiss if I didn't compensate you for your loss. Ten thousand gold? She asked. Clear she would go higher if he said so. Snare looked at the ground for a few beats, and then over to Mela, who was acting as an interpreter. After a moment, Mela's face scrunched up in confusion, and then shrugged. He says thank you for the offer, but that he already had a payment of gold from House de Adelfiori in the past. Merriman looked confused as well, but accepted the answer. They had all processed to the main road. Snare had given Dumog a silver ring from his beard, asking if it might be laid to rest with Ordeval. Dumog agreed. It was there that they parted ways. Sarkeesian had told them of what she had been thinking on all these days past, inviting them to join her. There was silence for a time but it seemed Sarkeesian had not been the only one thinking, and her plans did not match with the ideas of the rest. So it was, a little less than a day's ride north of Feld's Crossing, the party said tearful goodbyes and went their separate ways for the first time in years. Though Rianach promised to message them all regularly, and words of we will meet again soon were exchanged. <laughs>